What's up, sports fans, and welcome to the Sports Opinions Podcast live stream. I'm your host, as always, Alex Cuesta. Find me on Twitter at A underscore Cuesta30. Find Sports Opinions on Twitter at Sports Opinion30. And I'm coming to you live from the city of Poughkeepsie, my home. Hopefully, some people from Poughkeepsie out there are listening to me. But as we always do with the live streams, um, anyone that's listening can call in. They can have their opinion heard. We'll stop whatever I'm talking about because it's probably going to be useless jargon anyway. And we'll get whatever to what you guys want to talk about. So if you have my phone number, call me, text me, leave a comment. If you have an account on Spreaker, uh, just anyway, tweet and we'll just get you on the show. So I'm going to jump right into it. First, you know, NBA has hijacked everything. And most sports shows I've been listening to have been talking basically only NBA. And that's really been unfair. And because, you know, right now it's baseball season. Baseball's in full swing. And by the request of my request of my father-in-law, we're going to get this game, this thing kicked off with a little bit of baseball with a specific question that he had for me. And it's going to be whether or not the Yankees are going to be able to keep up with the Red Sox for the rest of this season. If you don't know. The New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox are both battling for ALE supremacy. And just to put this in a point of reference, my father-in-law is a Mets fan. That's how low the Mets fans have fallen. They don't even care about their own team. Sorry, Dad. Had to do it. But they don't care about their own team enough to ask a question about the Mets because, you know, the answer is going to be they stink. They need to trade DeGrom or Syndergaard, and they need to rebuild their farm. Uh, Let's hope for Mets fans that they do it. But back to the question at hand. Yankees, Red Sox, who can keep up with who? You know, when it comes to the head-to-head, the Yankees now have the advantage after the last series. They took two out of three. Um, I think they played, they were six and six going, or they played six games, and they were three and three going into the series. So it's really not much separation between the two teams in terms of talent. They're very similar teams. They could both mash now where Boston has them as they have better starting pitching. But the Yankees have the best bullpen in baseball, and if they can get good enough starting pitching, then it becomes a real weapon. For the Yankees, you have an ace like Luis Severino, who, you know, takes the ball every fifth day and pitches gems. He basically pitches great baseball, and the Yankees can really, really rely on him. But on the other hand, the Mets have awesome start. Not the Mets. Sorry. Uh, They were just getting in my head. But the Red Sox have some good starting pitching. They can really throw the ball well besides David Price. They don't want to put David Price ever up against the Yankees because he just gets destroyed. But against other teams, David Price is actually a decent pitcher. Um, So you can put up a guy like him come playoff time and where it's important. You have uh, guys like Rick Porcello who hasn't been amazing this year, but he has shown that he's a reliable starter. And that's not even getting, honestly, into their stars. They have very good players, so it's not out of the realm that if the Red Sox get a hot streak and if the Yankees stop hitting, that could really, really hurt them. So it's, and again, not to knock away from what they have in the bullpen too, because they have guys like Joe Kelly. They have uh, Craig Kimball, one of the best closers in the game. And this is without me even mentioning Chris Sale, who is one of the most dominant pitchers in the game. So it's... It's not out of the realm of possibility that the Red Sox can run away with it. Maybe it's my bias as a Yankees fan, but I just see that 
the lineup from top to bottom, okay, if they end up facing the Sox come playoff time, Chris Sale, they're probably, Chris Sale and Severino probably aren't going to meet each other. They're probably going to try and maneuver so that neither of them see each other. So let's just call it 1-1 or 2-2 right there because both of those guys are probably going to pick up their respective wins. So 2-2 tie series. So then it comes down to who else that they're going to have throwing. More than likely, they're, you know, David Price is going to get a shot. He was brought there to pitch in big moments. He was not brought there to avoid the Yankees. So you'll have David Price going, and right there, that counts as a Yankees win. Um, you'll, you'll probably see, hopefully not see Sonny Gray for the Yankees if Masahiro Tanaka comes back. But if you do... I'll count that as a Boston win because Matt, because Sonny Gray has just been, he's basically the David Price of the Yankees. He's not very good when it comes to these big moments. So it's something that you can really, you really need to look at it from those perspectives. Um, now you come down the last, basically Rick Porcello against CC Sabathia. If CC Sabathia is on his game, then the Yankees can really do some good things because he's shown the ability to adapt as a pitcher. So we'll see exactly what we can get out of CeCe, whether or not he's going to be able to be the guy for the team or if he's going to shut down. I have confidence in CeCe. I think that he'll be able to really... um, He'll be able to really just come through for the Yanks, and he'll be able to pitch really well for them. And I really think the Yankees will power through. So really, I don't know if that rambling actually answered the question, but in terms of whether or not we're going to get the Yankees being able to keep up with the Red Sox or the Red Sox running away from them, I think the Yankees can keep up, and I actually think the Yankees can end up winning the AL East outright, which I know is an unpopular opinion in a lot of places because their starting pitching is a question. But I just think that they have a good enough team to do it. So, and if you pardon me real quick, I'm actually putting up the link so that if more people want to listen, whoever is listening out there, they can come on and listen. Tell your friends to come on. I'm putting it up right now so that more people can come on and join us. So there we go. Just put that through so more people can come on and listen. So if you're just joining us, thank you very much. You're listening to the Sports Opinions Podcast live stream. I really appreciate really appreciate that. Um, and it's really just, you know, comes down to going back to the Yankees and Sox. It just comes down to if our starting pitching can match theirs. And if our starting pitching can give us five innings and a lead, we should be able to shut it down. Now, the sad part is, and I've heard this many a times from a lot of people, and it's true. If you look at the standings, both the Yankees and the Red Sox are more than likely going to reach 100 wins. One of those teams is going to be a wild card team. They're going to have to play one game, and in that one game, you know, the the Red Sox are lucky they have Chris Sale. Chris Sale is going to be able to, you know, pitch that one game, hopefully. But you have to imagine that both the Yankees and the Sox are going to be battling it out for the division win outright. So they're not going to have the luxury of positioning their aces to be ready for that playoff game. This is something that some people love because they love the drama. They love 
they love seeing teams squirm. They want to see this whole one game scenario. I personally am not a fan of the one game scenario. You know, I do preach, you know, do your job during the regular season and you won't have to be in that one game scenario situation. But at the same time, after 162 games to decide it with one game, I think at minimum, they should do a best out of three, a best out of three, adding two more games to the season is not going to kill these players. And I think a lot of players would actually appreciate having a best out of three because then there's a good chance if you couldn't, if you were battling just to get into that wild card spot or battling for your division and then fall into the wild card spot and you're a hundred win team, if you threw your ace, you know, three days ago, you're not going to be able to throw them in that wild card game. So that's unfair to that team. So at least a three game series is a good chance that a team will get to throw their ace and we get to probably see a lot more drama that way because I think we'll see a lot of game threes to decide whoever is going into the playoffs. So the MLB really needs to consider whether or not they want to change the wild card system because it would just be a travesty if the Yankees or the Sox get stuck in that wild card spot, face a pitcher on fire, and don't get to play best of seven series. So sticking with baseball, um, sticking with rules that have changed recently, thank God. The All-Star game does not decide home field advantage in the World Series anymore. That might have been the... Dumbest thing I ever saw to try and put emphasis on an all-star game. I mean, in a way it worked, but managers and players didn't participate in all-star games to have the stress of having to win that game. An all-star weekend is supposed to be a break. It's supposed to be relaxing. It's supposed to be for players and fans to interact. It's supposed to be for... um, It's supposed to be just for people to enjoy and really get to know the all-stars and not for them to be stressed out and playing to win games so we're looking at it and they need to they made the adjustment to take away that stipulation it's made the all-star game actually fun again you get to see guys like i saw you know a few years ago delwin batances came on and struck out the side and then on the flip side we saw i believe it was jacob de grom or Someone for the Mets will come in and just throw lights out. And that was exciting for me to see both New York teams getting represented so well pitching-wise. And there's those type of cool things that you can have pride in as a fan, which is fun to watch your team do what it does and enjoy it. But we're going to delve in a little more. The All-Stars are going to get announced this Sunday along with the Home Run Derby participants and all that type of stuff. And to be quite honest, if you're looking at the AL specifically, that roster should be dominated basically up and down by three teams. Yankees, Astros, and Red Sox. Now, I know there's other good players. The Indians have some pitchers. Uh, the Mariners are a good team. You have some teams that are pretty good, but if you really look at it, the Astros ha- might have one of the greatest pitching staffs, starting pitching staffs of all time. You should see a few of their guys in there. The Red Sox, you know, Chris Sale, I don't think he's, he hasn't been pitching as great as of late, but that guy is probably going to be an all-star. I hope David Price says and he doesn't deserve it. But guys like Mookie Betts, Mookie Betts is definitely all-star worthy. I know I rib, uh, a lot of us rib uh, Rob Planter in our little friend group because Rob Planter is just a Mookie Betts psycho, even though he's a Mets fan. But, you know, Mookie deserves his chance to play. You look at the Yankees, uh, you have Aaron Judge, Glaber Torres should be in there. Um... Stanton's probably going to get in there just off his name, even though his season has been okay, but not amazing. So we have a lot of guys that just from positionally 
could be dominated by those three teams, and they should be dominated because those are the three best teams in the AL. And that's just without a doubt that those teams are the three teams that one of those teams is going to be representing the AL in the World Series. So it would just make sense that in the All-Star game, they're dominated. And while it might be unfair to a lot of other teams, it's just the landscape of the AL right now. So keeping with that, one of the funnest things with the All-Star festivities is the Home Run Derby. Now, I'm looking right now at some of the stats and home runs are, you know, they're not at a premium. They are flying out of the park a lot. And there's a lot of guys up there, but my I begs a I beg the question, Judge isn't going to participate. Stanton isn't probably coming back. Is there going to be a lot of lure around this home run derby? We've seen some stinkers in the past few years where the home run derbies are just kind of, you know, there's excitement because the balls get bombed, but there is no really big name. There's no big draw. Watching Aaron Judge just mash the ball and make it look easy and not get tired during that home run derby was just something that all fans wanted to see. But if there was a guy in there, a lot of guys got exhausted. That affected Judge in the latter half of the year last year. He went through a bad second half, and then the playoffs, he heated up again. But during the derby, he was the guy. Without Judge, would it be interesting? There's a chance that it's interesting, I'll say. Because there are guys that are really hitting the ball well that should get their chance to show it. Uh, J.D. Martinez of the Boston Red Sox is the home run leader right now. He has 27 home runs. That's outrageous that he almost has 30 by the break. Put a guy like that up there. Um, who else? As I look down this list, Francisco Lindor has been hitting the ball pretty well. Um, Joey Gallo has been hitting the ball. He has 21 home runs. Joey Gallo is a guy that should get up there. We have dudes like Trevor Story, Paul Goldschmidt. Um, a lot of these guys that are just hitting the cover off the ball and hitting really well. And they they really should get their chance to shine. I do think that the home run derby can be fun without uh, Aaron Judge participating, without John Carlos Stanton, uh, Stanton participating. There could be a really good time there. So we'll continue to look this Sunday and keep with it. And I also have to beg the question. All-Star Weekend's a fun weekend, right? It's meant for the fans. It's meant for anyone to have fun. But is there anyone, anyone besides, I don't know, anyone besides family members for the first one? And I don't know who's interested in the second one. The Futures game and the Celebrity game. Who the hell's watching these? Basketball, the celebrity game is fun because you get to see a lot of random people and then you always get shocked by who can actually ball, who can actually really dribble. You know, Terrell Owens dominated the basketball uh, celebrity all-star game for a while because he could dunk. He was a legitimate athlete. You had guys like Chris Brown come on and, you know, there's certain guys that, you know, can actually ball and it's pretty cool to see people that aren't in basketball doing it. When it comes to baseball, they shorten it up. They make it a shortened fence. Uh, it's, it's more of, it's a softball game. It's not, it's pretty hokey. It's not that much fun. I never really enjoy it. And I'm a sports junkie. So it's not like it's anything that really interests me. And I just want to thank my buddy, Rudy. He's jabbing me right now. He told me I have a sexy voice. Thanks, Rudy. Maybe I'll start working in a sex hotline. I appreciate that. But Rudy's listening all the way from the great nation of Colombia, who just suffered a tragic loss 
in the World Cup. We're going to talk a little bit about the World Cup. My buddy is a World Cup fan, soccer fan. He better be a soccer fan now that he's living in Colombia. But we'll talk a little bit about that. I'm really sorry, Rudy. I got no MMA for you on this one. If you want MMA, you can listen to the last podcast I just had, the last one with TJ Kid. We talked some MMA there. But um, definitely go check it out if you haven't already. On I'm on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, um, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, and YouTube. Go listen to the last one with TJ Kidd and also the one before that with Phil Watson. Fansided, it's Phil Watson. He's the Nothing But Nets um, site expert. We had a great one there. So episodes 28 and 29, go back and listen to those. But going back on to my train of thought here, I was talking about just how boring the future, you know, the futures game is nice because there's a lot of young players that aren't all-stars at all leagues besides like football, but basketball tries to do this and a lot of leagues do this. I never find these really that interesting. The futures games, it's just like, eh, these are guys that could be all-stars, couldn't be all-stars. The jury's out on them. They're just kind of there to fill space. I don't know what else you would fill that with. Maybe there's nothing else, but maybe we don't need to fill it with anything else. These guys, it's a very good honor to have that out there, but it's not something that, I don't know, I I find no interest in it. Maybe I'm in the minority, but I just don't think that it's really interesting. Now, as always, my beautiful wife, Julie, she participates. She participates every time I do a live podcast. She tells me she loves these live ones. And that she really looks forward to these. She comes in with the question all the time. All the time there's questions. And it's great. And I'm going to read the one that she brought up because it's really interesting. And it actually will have to do with my next transition. Because I'm putting basketball on the back burner. Yeah, LeBron, you're on the back burner for once. Get used to it. Because in LA you ain't winning chips. Not yet. But we're going to go back to that. So we're going to go. Her question is Neymar in the World Cup. Sometimes it seems a bit overdramatic with their quote, air unquote, I'm doing air quotes here, injuries. I don't see why this type of dramatics is necessary. And although Twitter has made some funny memes, which there are always great memes, why is this type of drama necessary? Why can't they just play the game? I feel like we well, don't see this as much with women teams. It's true. You don't see this as much in the women's game. The women are tougher in terms of how they play the game. Um, I think this has a lot to do with who's dominant in the women games. Americans don't really play this style. We play a much tougher style. We don't go down to get calls. We don't really drop. We don't do a lot of the stall tactics. And I'll get to why a lot of teams do this. We don't do a lot of the stall tactics that a lot of other nations do. And it kind of hurts us coming to international play. Because a lot of teams do use the drop. They try and get these calls. They try and stall games. And Americans don't do it. And sometimes it hurts them. And I'll tell you why. But I think the reason why we don't see it in the women's game is because the women, the American women set the standard in women's soccer. They are the cream of the crop. They're the best players in the world. The American team is the best team in the world. The Brazilians are there. The Japanese are pretty good. But the Americans, and you know, one of those teams might sneak one and beat the Americans every once in a while. But the Americans are the cream of the crop. And with that, they kind of set the play for the world. Everyone's now trying to emulate them because when the team that's on top always gets emulated. That's just how it works. You try it's what what Golden State did. Everyone's trying to shoot these threes in the NBA. Um, Tom Brady and the Patriots have six running backs, some AY receivers, a good offensive line, and a stout defense. Everyone's trying to make a stable running backs now. Throw it 
Dwoa with the sturdy quarterback, good line, defense that can hold off. That's It's a copycat. Every league's copycat. Soccer's no exception. And when it comes to the women's game, everyone's copying the women. And the American style is you play through this type of crap. You don't fall down. You don't, you know, if you're just getting touched, that's not just the way it is. Now, going back to why it happens, I hate it. I hate the flopping. Um, I'm happy the NBA made a rule about flopping because it sucked in the NBA. And now you get fined if you do it. I feel like it should be if you're caught doing a legitimate flop for no reason, you should be red carded and kicked off the field. Because the reason why teams do this is because you look at Brazil, you look at Neymar. Neymar is a beast. He is a great scorer and from set pieces, which is when a foul is called and it's a direct shot. They're allowed to take a direct shot on the goal. Direct, they could shoot on goal. Indirect, the ball needs to be touched by another one of your teammates before you can shoot on goal. That's the difference in soccer. Most of the type of fouls, like shoving a guy down to the ground, is a direct kick. And that means they can shoot the ball from anywhere on the field. But if they're near the 18 box and they get fouled, that's a great chance that they can score a goal. So a lot of teams will use this flop when they're on the offensive attacking end to try and get a set piece. So that teams can <laughs> so that teams can get a better chance to score. Because the more set pieces you have, you a lot of teams use different tactics and you know run around, try and open up holes so that the team can have a better chance to score. So that dramatic part right there is a tactic to try and score more goals. And your big teams do this. Your Brazils, your France, your England, your um, England doesn't do it as much, but you're Italy, Italy's known for it. They're big for it, but that's why they do it. And the other reason why you see it on the late end, if a team has a one goal lead, a two goal lead, they're trying to do it to play the game less because the ref at the end of every court, end of every half, end of every game, the ref gives stoppage time. And that's what he believes was the time that was, you know, the ball was out of bounds. They were getting ready for a set piece. That was the amount of time that it took in that gap that they get to play a little bit extra. Now, if there's 10 minutes that weren't played or there's you're never going to see 10 minutes of stoppage time. Five minutes of stoppage time is outrageous. So teams use this because they know towards the end of the game, they're more than likely is going to be for the generally three more minutes added on. So if you can fall down on the ground and, you know, be injured and on the brink of the trainer having to come out and take you off and then get up and walk it off and be in the way of the free kick. There is, there is a lot that, uh, whatchamacallit, there's a lot that it comes out of that, a lot of benefit that comes out of doing that type of thing. And as awful as it is, and you see it on everything, if a team's in the lead and a ball goes out of bounds, they will slowly throw the ball in. They will slowly take the free kick. They'll, the goalie will, you know, wait and kick the ball. And they tell them to hurry up. They'll give them a yellow card for a delay game. It's not enough to stop it. And it's an annoying thing that happens all the time. It, for me, again, I think it should be a red card. I think that if you're caught doing this and you're blatantly caught, I think it's, with, it's cheating within the game. Get them out. Get them out. It's a red card. Your team is now down and it would give the inspiration not to do this crap anymore because it just sucks. It takes away from that game and it's just, it's, it's a bitch tactic. Bottom line, it's a bitch tactic and it's really soft. And I know 
if Matt Santos, if you're listening to this, you're screaming at this because it is a tactic in soccer. But to me, it's a bitch move. And the whole slowing down the game just because you're in the lead is annoying. Now, Rudy made a comment on the Spreaker page here that um, I was talking about Americans. And he said the American style is garbage. Example, they didn't make the World Cup. Now, that has a lot to do. I'll talk about that because that has a lot to do with the selection. Um, when we had Jurgen Klinsmann, he tried to make a blend of some guys that couldn't make the German team. So they came over to America and a lot of the old guard as well. Um, it didn't work. It didn't work. Guys like Dempsey, um, Howard, uh, whatchamacallit, um, who was the, Bradley, Michael Bradley, these guys gotta go. We need to never see these guys play again. Beasley. Some of these guys, we need to never see play a cap again in an American, um, in an American uniform because they just don't cut it. We need to see more youth. We need, you know, Kristen Pulisic is nice that he's out there, but we need more youth. Youth is what's going to get us this way. The MLS is expanding. They keep on adding teams. They're getting more and more butts in the seats. I know Red Bulls Arena sold out a lot. NYCFC is sold out all the time. You go over to Portland. You go over to Seattle. Those places are always bumping. That is the soccer mecca of the United States. So build on that. Use these young kids. And we also need to get a better academy system in this country. The Europeans do it right. If you're good at soccer, you don't go to regular high school. You don't go to regular middle school. You go to an academy. You get all your learning there and you eat, sleep, and breathe soccer while getting the education. And you get groomed by the specific teams. Real Madrid, FC Barcelona, um, Milan, all these teams. Juventus, these great teams, these legendary teams, they have academies. And they develop a lot of these young players out of academies. And you get to see these young stars come up. So it's something that the United States needs to start to grab. If they ever want to see soccer grow in this country, that's exactly how they're going to need to do it. So that's, and Rudy, that really answers your question there about the style. It's not necessarily the American style of play because we could be successful. And part of the issue is our athletes are pulled in so many other ways. We could have, we could have be the best soccer team on the planet if all of our great athletes focus themselves on soccer. And that's one thing that a lot of the European nations and South American nations have is that their best athletes are most of the time leaning towards soccer. Rugby might steal a few. Basketball in some countries might snag a few. But for the most part in England, for the most part in Spain, in Germany, in France, they are going to soccer. And Rudy, you see it in Colombia. Over in Colombia near you, soccer is a way of life. They eat, sleep, and breathe it. In the South American countries, it's all soccer. So when you're doing that, it makes it much better to be able to pull the best athletes from your country and put them on the team. And it does give them a leg up on the United States. But a lot of it has to do with our structure of how we make, how we get our youth going and with, uh, you know, with just exactly how we need to get going with it. So the bottom line is the American style garbage, Rudy. I disagree with that. It's not a garbage style. We have garbage management. We have garbage coaching. We have garbage uh, people that lead American soccer that, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like they understand the best method. And the MLS needs to step their game up. Oh, yeah. We need to ban college soccer because college soccer just makes us go 10 steps back. When you can sub in a kid at any friggin' time, sub in a kid at any time in college soccer so that they're not following the UEFA rules where you only get two subs and if you come out of a game, you're out. No, 
in so- in collegiate soccer, you can sub them in at any time. They do they don't do a um, running up clock where you get stoppage time. They run down. There's just there's so many things about the college mold. It just makes it worse. It does not prepare these kids for soccer at all. So college has a lot to do with it. Um, lack of academies has a lot to do with it. And I agree. And I agree with you, Rudy. You just said we can't be successful. We have way too many other sports that are way more popular. Yes and no. Because, like I said, MLS, Major League Soccer, we are not the worst, one of the worst leagues on the planet anymore. We are slowly getting up. We are getting near a Mexican soccer league level, which doesn't sound great, but that's another country that eats, sleeps, and breeds soccer, and the Mexican soccer league is decent. They're not Europe. They're not Germany. They're not Spain. They're not even Portugal, but they are a decent league. We are no longer the laughingstock league. We got Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who is a legitimate bona fide star. We have guys like David Beckham running teams. Um, David Villa is playing fantastic at NYCFC. Bradley Wright Phillips with the New York Red Bulls. And then we have a lot of American talent, young American talent being infused. So we are, American soccer is growing. It is growing and it is getting better. So we can see, we'll see some upbringings. And with other sports, kind of baseball's boring. And they're trying to figure out ways to speed it up. That's going to help soccer. Football has its political issues. That's going to help soccer in America. Um, basketball is getting more and more popular. So they're not going to make any runs at basketball, but it, it really, it really can make a big difference if the things that I said Americans start to do when it comes to soccer. So now we are going to transition to the actual World Cup. We'll talk a little bit about it. One of the things that happened, and it's pretty surprising to I think everyone is Germany, the juggernaut, the defending champions, out, ousted, gone. Round of, they weren't, didn't even get to the round of 16. They were gone during the friggin' um, the group stages. That sent shockwaves right away. Everyone felt it. Everyone was like, oh, this is, this is real. This year's, this year's different. So Germany being out, okay. You saw Germany was out. Round of 16 goes, dust settles. Germany may be out, but there are still a lot of powerhouses. We saw Portugal in the round of 16. France, Argentina, Brazil, um, England, Colombia was there, uh, you know, Spain was there, and then the chips start falling again. Uruguay, who's a very good team, knocks off Portugal. Um, Argentina gets knocked off by France, and the French are a very good team, so it's not completely surprising. But the dream matchup that probably so many people had in their head when they saw this bracket come out, why couldn't we get Ronaldo versus Messi? I could hear so many you know, backseat kind of secondary fans that only watch it during the World Cup. That was their dream scenario. You want to know why we couldn't get Ronaldo versus Messi? We could Number one, we couldn't get Ronaldo versus Messi because Messi was only thing that Argentina had. They played a terrible, terrible brand of soccer. And we wonder why Messi wanted to quit. I would quit too. Messi was basically trying to pull a LeBron in this World Cup. He was trying to carry a bunch of mediocre soccer players to the promised land. All the pressures on him. There was this stupid story of his mom saying that he cries all the time about it. I don't want to hear about Messi crying. I don't care about Messi crying. But just watching that team play, I was embarrassed for him that that was the guys that he had to have around him. On the flip side, 
Portugal losing to Uruguay. Uruguay's a very good team. They don't need help to win games. Unfortunately, this ref had a hard-on for Portugal, and he gave Uruguay help. Unpopular opinion or not, Portugal did not do, uh, you know, they didn't deserve to lose the way that they did. They could have lost this game outright, and I thought Portugal was the better team, but they ended up losing to Uruguay 2-1, and it kind of sucks. But that set up the next bracket match, Uruguay-France. This match was won by France 2-0. Uruguay is a good team. They ran into a French team that right now might be the favorite to win the cup. And it's pretty ridiculous to see that this is a French team that tied 1-1 with the United States in a friendly. Now, mind you, it's only a friendly. It was five days before the World Cup started. But it was a lot of young players on that United States team that played. There was a lot of guys getting their first caps ever in international play. And they tied. They shocked the French with the first goal. And then they tied them 1-1. And that was a French team that was using it as a dress rehearsal. They had their main guys there. Their World Cup roster was playing. So now to see the French step it up, they could be the favorites right now going in. They defeated Uruguay. They are in the semifinals. They'll be seeing a team that I'm surprised. I've heard a few people say that this team is legit. I'm becoming a believer. Brazil ended up beating Mexico 2-0. Thank God ESPN could stop doing all this crap with Mexico. Oh, Mexico this. I don't know why ESPN is so Mexico everything. They're not America. I know we have a lot of Mexicans here, but be a little more patriotic. They care more about Mexico than they do about the American team. I know the Mexican team's better, but come on. There's no reason. We, we wouldn't root for Canada like that if Canada was in, and we're much friendlier with Canada. So... I know I'm t- I'm just oversaturated with the Me- with the Mexico stuff at ESPN. I'm so happy they're out. But Brazil ended up beating them. They moved on. Then Belgium g- beat Japan in a fantastic game. Both teams were just flying up and down the pitch, and it was a great game. Belgium moved on, and then shockingly to me, I did not think Belgium was this good. But they beat Brazil two one. Yes, Neymar, Mr. Flop himself, ended up losing the game two one. And Belgium moves on. We're going to see Belgium-France. Belgium is the underdog in my eyes. They're a good team, obviously. But the French are a team on a mission. Going over to the other side. Another shocking uh, development. Host Russia, who I think a lot of people didn't think that they were this good of a team. You know, one can really... This is a fair question. Is there a lot of steroids running through them? I know. It might be, you know, it might be cruel to ask, but... Is there, what what's running through their veins? There was a lot to question about the Russian Olympic athletes. They got banned as a nation for this recent Olympics. They had to compete underneath the Olympic banner itself. And then a few of those guys got banged for performance enhancing drugs. While they were there and allowed to compete, wouldn't surprise me if years down the road, we get Russia, we find out that Russia during this World Cup was you know, doing something illegal. Uh, so it's, it's something, it's something completely that, you, that we could really find out. And yeah, I agree with you. Russia's doing great because of steroids. I just saw Rudy. I just saw your comment. They are doing great because of steroids, but this is something that Rudy is now going to be interested in as well. His host nation Croatia, who he lied to me for years and told me he was like a Croatian royalty, which I could believe because Croatia just seems like a kind of backwards little country to me. Him and my boy, John Marasevic, both Croatian. But 
Croatia ended up beating Denmark on penalty kicks, 1-1. Both of these teams, Russia beat Spain on penalty kicks, 1-1. Croatia beat Denmark, 1-1. We're going to see host nation Russia play Croatia. And I know the host nations always get a boost. They always get a bump because their crowds are going wild. I think Croatia is the better team. But if Russia still doing those steroids, then Russia will probably make it through. And the refs are definitely going to be friendly. They are 100% going to be friendly. Miguel is in this chat, and he asked me a question here. He asked, um, English bias when an American ref was officiating the England-Columbia game gave every every call to the only team he could communicate to. Then he ended it off with a Viva Columbia. Thanks, Miguel. Um, You know, Matt Geiger, it's kind of funny. Geiger is from Tom's River, New Jersey, which is an area literally right next to me. He is a Jersey boy. Um, Geiger has become a really good official he's a real well-respected official um and rudy if you want to call you can literally we're talking through the group me you could just call me on group me not group me i mean whatsapp call me on whatsapp i'll have you on here we could talk some soccer rudy but um he communicate i don't think it was a fact that he could only communicate with england these international refs are good at communicating with everybody um you have to become good at communicating with everybody and we're going to jump to that game because both of those guys are obviously fairly angry um it was another 1-1 with the final in penalty kicks. Uh, England ended up defeating Colombia. So, uh, Colombia, they lost. Sorry, guys. And I didn't think the game was fixed. Um, I didn't think that Geiger called an unfair game for England. I thought that it was... it was. I thought it was actually one of the better officiated games that I've seen in this World Cup. Colombia had their chances. But, at the same time... Colombia just wasn't, they weren't aggressive. If you saw the time of possession, England dominated the ball, Rudy. England dominated the ball, Miguel. Any other Colombia fan out there? England dominated the ball. They had the possession more. They shot better. They, you know, they had better chances. They moved the ball better. Colombia had their shots. They had their shots. They had their chances. And they lost. So what I do have to say to both you, Rudy and Miguel, is get over it. So the final game, Sweden, Switzerland, that I'm going to talk about. They're going in. Then I'm going to talk about the next uh, two games, the round of eight games. Sweden, Switzerland. Now, it's kind of funny here. Um, Both of these teams, I'd be lying if I said I knew much about them. I just know that they're both neutral countries. And that one neutral country beat another neutral country 1-0. Moving on. I don't know much about Sweden and Switzerland. Maybe someone could educate me. If you want to call in, talk a little bit more about it, go ahead, please. But... Um, that moves me on to the next round of games that Sweden versus England. I think England's going to win that one going away. I just think England's a better team. We're going to see England moving on. And unfortunately, you know, Rudy's going to have his soul crushed twice. I think host Russia is going to use the power of the crowd and the power of PEDs and steroids and push themselves past Croatia. And I think we'll see host Russia playing England. And while we're here, I'm just going to throw down more predictions. I think we're going to see... A French and English battle to um, a French and English battle to get to decide the World Cup, and I think ultimately France is going to take it. So that's my prediction right there. France is going to ultimately take this whole entire thing, and we're going to see French win. So, oh my God, Rudy's going nuts. He's he's saying it was unfair. See, this is what happens when you're on the losing side. You get blinded. And you talk, you just say it's unfair, but you give very few examples. And that's what's happening right now. But 
Bottom line, with all the juggernauts that went out with everything that happened, this cup is wide open. I made my prediction for France, but you really never know what's going to happen here. And again, soccer is a weird sport. Any team can go out and beat any team. It's 90 minutes, and it's just a grueling battle. So you really never know. Um, so I'm going to go on to my final topic. We're going to talk the topic that everyone else has been leading off with on the radio. NBA free agency. It's the biggest news right now because one LeBron James jumped ship again and he went from Cleveland, the Cavaliers, over to Showtime, the LA Lakers. Lakers fans are ecstatic. Cleveland fans are surprisingly appreciative this time around. They're not doing the whole jersey burning they're not doing all the anger. There's a lot of things going on that are basically, thank you, LeBron. Thank you. You brought us the championship. You made good on your word. You did what you were going to do. And now you left. And it's okay. The only thing they did do is they started taking down his banner right away. It didn't even say James on his jersey. It said Cleveland. Man, leave the banner up. He's the best player in your history by far, arguably the greatest in sports. In, uh, not in sports, in basketball. You can argue that. Why are you taking down his banner right away? You're going to build a statue right away? Because you might as well. You might as well build a statue of the guy doing a chase down block. Because if you're going to take down that banner, build the man a statue. He deserves it. He's one of the top three players to ever play the game. And you had him and he brought you a chip. Now he's going over to the Lakers. And it's interesting. Because when he went over to the Lakers, he had a few guys that ran over there kind of with him. They signed Lance Stevenson. They signed JaVale McGee. They sign Rajon Rondo. Most interesting one to me there is Rajon Rondo. Because you have a young point guard there who is has good vision, good handles, you know, very good passer, creator, can't shoot. Can't shoot for nothing. And now you bring in this veteran who has championship experience, who you know averages double digit assists every year, very good finisher at the rim in Rajon Rondo, who basically fills the exact role that Lonzo Ball does, but better. Rajon Rondo's a better player than Lonzo Ball. And that's just not any diss to Lonzo. I've been on record, I think, saying plenty of times, I don't think Lonzo Ball is a superstar or will ever be a superstar in the NBA. I think that he will be a starter. I think he will be a borderline star. But I don't ever think he's going to be a star in the NBA. So he's... You know, he's just kind of sitting there and his dad does him no favors. His dad's an idiot. LeVar Ball, people say he's a he's a marketing genius. He's a marketing genius, but it's a him thing. He's a great dad that he wants his sons to all do well. But it's all about him in the end. It's all about him going out there smiling, all about him. And I don't think he realizes how much he's hurt Lonzo Ball already in his short career. He was the target in every single game. You know, you saw in the first game, Patrick Beverly just got right in his face rattled him you know Lonzo played better he had decent numbers but he puts a target on this kid's back and it's unfair and I think to me the move with Rajon Rondo spells Lonzo being out of LA Lonzo Ball more than likely going to get traded I don't know what his value is because as a player his value is very good as a player you see a kid that had good numbers his rookie year progressed well has unbelievable vision you could maybe eventually get him a decent shot nothing great he's never going to be a three-point specialist but you can passable shot 
He's a runner. He sprints up and down the floor. He's decent on defense. He needs to get better, but he's young. But his value gets depleted when you realize that LeVar Ball's coming with him. So I think that LeBron is just going to, you know, force Magic's hand and say, trade this dude for a bag of peanuts. Get him out of here. We got Rondo now. We don't need him. And I unfortunately think we are seeing the end of the Lonzo Ball error in uh, L.A. Just to run down a few more free agents, um, guys that stayed. Chris Paul, he stayed in Houston even though there was rumors that there was riffs. He signed a four-year, $160 million max deal. Uh, Paul George is staying in OKC to the shock. He was you know, demanding to go to L.A., went to OKC as a loan. He signed a four-year, $137 million deal to go team back up with Russell Westbrook. I'm not a huge Paul George guy. I love, you know, I like his style that he's a tough player. The whole superstar thing, he's a star. He's not a superstar. We throw around that word way too lightly. Paul George is not a superstar. He is a star. Good to him. He got a deal. He got some good money, but the man is only a star and putting him with James wasn't going to make all the difference. Last but not least of my big guy staying put, Kevin Durant stays put in Golden State. He agreed to a a one-in-one deal, $61.5 million, which means he could be done next year. He can leave Golden State and he can just completely, you know, take his talent somewhere else. And I would not be surprised if Kevin Durant leaves. Kevin Durant won his chip, two of them. He got his back-to-back MVPs. Now, what's to say he doesn't go? What's to say he doesn't go to LA and team up with LeBron? What's to say he doesn't go to another bigger market? What's to say he doesn't go to Chicago and just try and bring a championship back there and bring back the Michael legacy? Who knows? But Durant is a wild card here. Now, another guy staying that as I'm looking at the free agents, Nikola Jokic, on the slide, he they denied his team option to sign him to a five-year, $148 million max deal. Now, I don't know, if you don't really know basketball, you probably don't know who Nikola Jokic is, but Nikola Jokic is a very good player. He has great vision. He's 23 years old. He's a scorer. He's a guy that Denver can build around. He is a modern big man. So it's a really good move for them to lock this guy down. I really think that that was a smart move by Denver. And they also, if I'm not mistaken, Denver also kept Will Barton, who's another very nice scorer, four-year, $54 million deal. He's a nice scorer. He can play the game very well. And you team up Will Barton with Nikola Jokic, that's a very nice young core. So that's something to watch out for. Now, let's move on to some of the outrage, some of the drama. There has been some drama in the NBA. And that's why I say right now the NBA is mean. The NBA is mean to baseball because this is baseball time. And the NBA is now taking over with the offseason, which is a lot of excitement and drama. But let's do the one that broke the league. This this is awful. How could Golden State sign Boogie Cousins? I'm never going to watch the NBA again. Blah, blah, blah. Cry, cry, cry. Wine, wine, wine. Shut up. Shut up. Let's talk about the facts that no one wanted to notice or no one even wanted to listen to. 29 other teams ignored the man. No one wanted him. Came out that AD, Anthony Davis, probably the third best player in the league, didn't want him back. He did not want him in the locker room. The man is also coming off of a major Achilles surgery, 
which is career-altering for a lot of players. Granted, Boogie Cousin is very gifted. Boogie Cousins is one of the best centers, not the best center in the game in terms of talent, but he's 27. The body, you know, he's young, but the body doesn't recover like a 22-year-old. Achilles surgery is legit. He, you know, he, you need that. You need that to be springy. So what, is Golden State getting the DeMarcus Cousins, the superstar, or are they going to get a 70% version? Granted, they don't need the superstar. 70% would be more than enough to win the championship. But this has more to do with Boogie Cousins. He signed a one-year, $5.3 million deal. He signed a show-me deal. And it was, you know, something that he is going to use to try and get a max offer next year. But I don't know if he can. I don't know if he's capable of getting a max offer because it's an Achilles. If anyone knows what Achilles is, it's called your, you know, the Achilles heel is everyone's weakness because it is one of the toughest things to recover from. So are we going to get the same DeMarcus Cousins this year? Probably not. And then another report that they had is that Golden State wants him to come off the bench. Good luck with that. Good luck with having DeMarcus Cousins come off the bench. I'm predicting that we're seeing trade rumors well before the trade deadline with DeMarcus Cousins because that guy's not a team first guy. That guy's a me first guy. And the Golden State Warriors are not a me first team. They have a lot of superstars, but they love having everyone shoot. They're okay with it. Whoever's hot, take it. Whoever's hot, take it. So Miguel just he just said, my buddy Miguel Rodriguez, Knicks fan, he just said they will probably sign him after he tears it again to a max offer. Him and Porzingis can share the same exact uh, hospital bedrooms and recover together. That is a Knicks-like thing to do. But save faith, Miguel. The Knicks have a much better front office. Steve Mills is a legitimate executive. And that'll get me to, you know, we'll slide a little here. Because if we want to talk about the Knicks, I want to talk about... The Knicks have been in a lot of talk. Kyrie has expressed that he would like to play with Chris Daps Porzingis. That's something that would be cool to him. Um, and now flow right into my Kyrie drama because Kyrie, there's reports that Kyrie already wants out of Boston. That's a little ridiculous. He left um, the best player on the planet in Cleveland because he wanted his own team. Ended up in Boston, which is one of the best situations. Brad Stevens is a great coach. They have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, awesome young talent there. They have Al Horford, a great veteran. When Gordon Hayward comes back, he is a very good star, good scorer. Why would you want to leave? And why would you want to go to the Knicks? Unless there's a master plan to bring guys like Clay Thompson, Jimmy Butler, Kevin Durant over there, which I really can't see happening. Why would you want to go over there and be alone? We don't know if Porzingis is going to. He's not going to play this whole year. And that injury to a big man, any big man starting to get injured already with the way he plays and how explosive he is and how much Kristaps Porzingis attacks the rim. How do you know he's going to stay healthy? How do we know Kyrie Irving is going to stay healthy? You know, there's a lot of question marks. And with Kyrie wanting to leave and go play with, you know, go play with Porzingis, that's cute and all, but it would be really stupid on his part. The Knicks, they're, they need to build from the ground up. Porzingis being out this year might be a blessing. They're going to be awful. They are definitely going to be worse than my Nets. I'm calling it here right now. And... They're going to not be, they're going to get a high pick, but who knows if they're going to be attractive for free agents. Now, I'm going to talk about my Nets, and I know people are going to roll their eyes because no one wants to talk about the Brooklyn Nets, but secretly and quietly, the Brooklyn Nets have been making a lot of good moves. 
GM Sean Marks has gotten the Brooklyn Nets out of cap hell. And now they are in position next season to sign two max players. They have better young talent than the Knicks. I don't care what anyone says. We can argue that till the Bulls come home. They have better young talent. I will put up D'Angelo Russell, Karis LeVert, and, you know, Spencer Dimwitty. And I will put them up against Frank Nilakita, Trey Burke, any of those other guys that you have. It would be, you know, it's ridiculous to even think that the Knicks are a better area. Yes, the Garden's a mecca, but the Nets just have a better roster top to bottom. Outside of Porzingis, the Nets have a better roster. And the Knicks just lost uh, Kyle Quinn, who was one of their better players. But the Nets are a better team right now than the Knicks. And as they, you know, they're not going to probably get a super low draft pick because I think they're going to be a decent team this year. They're not going to be great. They probably aren't going to be playoffs. They might get near it or maybe flirt with potentially doing it, but they are a young team and will probably falter. But the, the Nets can be a good team. And if they end up getting better and big superstars like a Jimmy Butler who wants out of Minnesota, apparently. He doesn't like Wiggins. He doesn't like Towns. He doesn't think they work hard enough. But he wants out of Minnesota. If Kyrie's looking to leave, uh, KD, I don't think KD's realistic, but KD, you know, whatever, throw him in. Clay Thompson. All of these guys. Oh, and this just in. The Mets just got a win. Holy crap. 5-1. to one. The Mets can win uh, baseball games. Just throwing that in there. It's surprising. But if, you know, the Nets will have two max spots, I can see... A guy like a Jimmy Butler or a guy like, you know, Clay Thompson. Maybe not Kyrie. Kyrie's too high class. But one of those two guys coming over, coming over to the Nets and being centerpieces and being big time guys. So it's, you know, for me, I just, and I listen to a lot of New York sports talk radio and I just hate it. And I just hate it. All they do is the Knicks this, the Knicks that. Get real. The Knicks are not a destination. They're a bad team with a bad history of making bad decisions and just not, you know, they're not a good franchise right now. And it's going to take a lot of digging out. And do they have a good executive in Steve Mills? Yes. They have a very good executive. As long as James Dolan stays on the side and doesn't really, you know, meddle, then let's go. Let's go. If they don't really, if he doesn't really meddle and they can build, great. I will be happy, be happy to see the Knicks, to see the Knicks play and play well because I'm not a Nick hater. A lot of Knicks fans, you know, as much as they're like, oh, it's just the Nets. They hate the Nets for no reason. Stupid of them. But I'm not a Knicks hater. If the Knicks play well, I will not be mad. I think they have a good structure to get better. But let's be realistic about this. In New York, the team that has the potential to get really good quicker are the Brooklyn Nets. Porzingis is hurt. We don't know what Porzingis is going to come back as. Yes, he is the superstar of the city, but don't be surprised if the Nets have two next year. Sliding on, we're going to talk about a little bit about Kawhi Leonard. And Rudy, if you want to talk about some UFC when I'm done talking about basketball, I will give you a call. And I know the 226 is on tomorrow night. I will let you talk about the fight card and I'll let you kind of give your predictions if that's something you want to do Rudy if you want to come on I'll call you you'll be on love to have you on you'll be calling out of Columbia you will be my first out of state out of the United States person to come on so come on it'll be awesome but 
talking about Kawhi Leonard drama. Kawhi wants out of San Antonio. He's demanded to go to Los Angeles. A lot of people are assuming the Lakers. It might not. The Clippers are in this, but Greg Popovich is not going to do him any favors. R.C. Buford is not going to do him any favors. They don't have to cut him. He has a year left. And no one is going to give a King's ransom for a rental, which they are asking for. They want the they want the um, Sixers to give up a player like Markle Fultz. They want uh, Tatum or Brown from the Boston Celtics. I mean, if the Lakers are willing to give up a like Kyle Kuzma, Ingram, but still, I don't think Popovich is going to do it. I don't know if the Clippers have enough. I don't know if Tobias Harris is good enough, and especially now losing DeAndre Jordan to the Mavericks, that might not make them a destination enough. But, you know, we shall see. With the Kyrie, with the Kawhi drama, I think Kawhi plays this year. I think he plays in a Spurs uniform. I think next year he makes a decision to sign with whoever. I, You know, I don't see it getting as toxic as everyone makes it seem. There's reports that he went there, he met with Popovich and told Pop he wants out, period. That's it. Maybe. Maybe. I think things are over-dramatized. I think too many players have quote-unquote camps that leak out bullshit all the time. Unnecessary. But I, I think, personally, we see Kawhi in a Spurs uniform for majority of next year. Maybe at the trade deadline if he can, if they can really finagle something that the Spurs are going to benefit from. Because don't get it twisted. The Spurs are going to come out on top. They will not trade Kawhi and come out losers. They will come out on top. Especially now that, my last mentioning, the Spurs... Ended up buying, ended up losing Tony Parker to Charlotte. That's big. And the Spurs are on the brink of falling off. If they lose Kawhi and get back very little, Tony Parker gone, just Ginobili there with LaMarcus Aldridge, that is not a competitive team in the West. Don't think for a second that Greg Popovich and R.C. Buford aren't going to come out on top if they trade Kawhi Leonard. <coughs> Last thing. Listening to the radio today, apparently Bleacher Report put out an article that uh, about the top Lakers of all time. Elgin Baylor wasn't included, um, and these are the top Lakers of uh, top players to ever wear a Lakers uniform. Preface that, so not top Lakers. Anyone, so your greatness outside of the Lakers as well counted. They had Kobe at eight. They had Carl Malone ahead of him. That just goes to show you how stupid that list was. Kobe. In terms of players to ever wear a uniform, it would should probably go LeBron and then Kobe or Shaq. You could put either of those two there, but and then but then you got to put in you know maybe even not because Will, Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson. It's a stupid list. It makes no sense to compare these errors or guys that greatest ever to wear a Lakers uniform. Stop it. Stop it. It's stupid. That is a dumb article. I don't know who wrote it. Uh, you know, those articles like that are dumb. Lists are dumb. They're opinions. And, you know, I know I run a podcast called Sports Opinions. But, unfortunately, with lists like that, a lot of their opinions are wrong. But, right now, what we are going to do is I'm going to give Rudy a call. Because Rudy wants to come on. Rudy wants to talk about, uh, what you call it? Rudy wants to talk about UFC 226 and the fight card. Tomorrow night. And thanks, Miguel. Miguel said I have a great face for radio. Thanks, Miguel. I really appreciate that. My support from my friends. I have such a great support group. I'll tell you that much. But I really do because they're listening. 
And that's just awesome in its own right that they're listening. So I really do appreciate that. So here I am. I'm calling up Rudy Kolich. Rudy, what's up, buddy? Nothing much. How you doing, Quest? Uh, good to hear from you. I'm doing well. This is my buddy Rudy Kolich. Calling, I'm calling him. We're using the WhatsApp. Calling him all the way out in Colombia. He is a massive, massive UFC fan. Um, and I'm admittedly not the most well-versed on UFC. So... Rudy, you want to talk about the UFC 226 fight card? What fight should we be looking forward to? Oh, the fight that I was looking forward to was Max Holloway and Ortega. But we had a very unfortunate incident because Max Holloway ended up collapsing after he did the pre-fight you know, simulation where they do. They go in front of the fans and they kind of throw punches and kicks and stuff like that. So apparently he ended up leaving. An hour later, he ended up collapsing. They said he had a concussion. They had to rush him to the hospital. Now, so that fight is off. Now, quickly, no do, you, do you really think so? The concussion is what it is. A lot of training. They do make a lot of head contact, even with training. But the extreme things that they put their body through to get through to weigh-ins, because these guys, they lose, try and lose all their water weight, come in super skinny to make the weigh-ins, and then they try and put it all back on. Do you think that had a factor for why he collapsed? Oh, 100%. That's what I think it is. Because like, when they do the pre-fight like you know, simulation, not simulation, but you kind of just hit pads and stuff, I think it's because of the weight cut. This happened before. This also happened with uh, the Russian fighter. Oh, I forget his name. He's really popular. He, he fought bears as a child. Whatever. I forget his name. But it happened to him too. It happened to Tony Ferguson. It like, happened to a lot of fighters. So I think what they need to really do is instead of doing like, okay, this is your weight at 155. You can weigh 175 off season when you're not fighting. You need to drop down 155. What they should do is they come and surprise you. This is what your weight is off season. We don't have a fight. That's the weight you should be fighting at. You should be fighting at like all the weight classes just to drop weight, lose all this water weight, just think, you know, get the kind of an edge on the fighter, which doesn't make any sense. Now because you kind also, of, what that does is it puts the fighter in danger when you lose that water. It is. It completely puts him in danger. Now you kind of harken back to the original UFC days when Ultimate Fighter was actually just a giant tournament and it was decided in one day, didn't matter the weight class, it didn't matter who you were, all you did was fight. You, I think it was like four or five fights in 24 hours to see who comes out on top. And wait, wait, are you talking about the reality series? No, the old, the original, like UFC one, two, three. Like it was just a straight tournament. There were no weight classes, and it was no. Yeah, no. You didn't watch it back then. No, I did, but they, they, they had weight classes, and it wasn't like a tournament style. Yes, it yeah, was. Yeah. You think about Pride? But Pride did that. I'm pretty sure UFC started out like that, and they then they eventually changed I it. I that up then. I don't think so. <laughs> you got to. You got to. Okay. But, all right, so now that that fight is off, what's the next fight that you're looking forward to now? Well, the main card is, uh, I always butcher his name, it's Steve Miochik, Miochik, whatever his name is. I can't okay. pronounce his name. And Daniel Cormier, which I think it's a super fight. You know, Daniel Cormier, he's kind of a, like a fat guy. He was strong to make weight, so they're bumping up a class to heavyweight to fight Steve, uh, Steve Majochik, but I, I'm not really excited about that fight. Like, it doesn't really do anything for him. Like, I don't really care for both of them, either of the fighters. Like, I, it'll be okay, but the fight I'm really looking forward to is Francis Nganu versus uh, Lewis, which I think will just be like, someone's going to be knocked out like pretty soon. I, I, I doubt if we go to the third round. Which that, I think, because these dudes are huge. Like, you know, Ngannou used to fight in, uh, I forget what country in Africa, but he used to work in like the salt mines or mining, and then he one day he had enough and went to France, started training, and now he's like a fighter in the UFC with only like, I think like four years of training. Because he just, he's, he's also now 
the hardest hitting uh, person ever in the world. He just did the test where you punch like a bag and they measure your strength and everything. Yeah. He got number one in the world. So he, he has so much power. So if he, he touches you, you're hurt. So that would make me forfeit right there. Amazing. I'd forfeit right there. Why the hell would I want to get punched <laughs> by that guy? Like, what's the point? What are you going to prove by getting your face rearranged by that dude with one hit? It would. It's going to look like a freaking Dragon Ball Z scene where they just punch the face and it molds. Like, Jesus Christ. Now, I wanna, I'm, I'm telling you, so, we're, all right, so I'm going back right now. I looked up UFC 1, and I'm going to read it. Um, the tournament featured fights with no weight classes, timeouts, or judges. The two rules, no biting or eye gouging. They were enforced by a $1,500 fine. The prize was $5,000. This was back in uh, November 12th of 1993. The eventual winner was Royce Gracie because he just kind of held everyone in a chokehold. That's, <laughs> that's all Royce Gracie did. But it was an eight-man tournament. And no time limit, just, you know, you just couldn't gouge eyes out and you couldn't bite. But, and it was no weight class. So you had dudes like Royce Gracie, who was a legend, Ken Shamrock. And it was just a bunch of different, you know, now everyone has a stable of mixed martial arts. You, you know, like three or four different martial arts and you specialize in one. This was back when these guys were legitimate specialists in only one thing. And it was just a clashing of styles. I'm telling you, you need to go back and watch UFC 1. It was a, it was a terrible beauty. That's what I'm calling it, terrible beauty. <laughs> well, it, also, it, also, it also really showed you that like the dudes on roids, like Kem Shamrock, obviously everyone knew that he back in the day he was on roids before USADA came in and up the sport. But you could, you could see when Royce Gracie came in, he, he dominated that because he was the biggest guy or the strongest. He just dominated because he had Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And he would just and lay on the people. the fights, they usually end up to the ground. He would lay on people. He would go, he would sit there, get on the ground, put him in a hold, and lay on them until they submitted. Like, he won all three of his bouts by submission because he was massive. He'd get you to the ground, he'd lay on you, and that's it. So, no, 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 Royce Gracie was a small man, but the only way he, he won is because he knew Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and like all the other guys were pretty much just like on steroids and just knew kickboxing or boxing. Royce Gracie won because he knew Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu before all these other people knew exactly what it was about. Exactly. So, okay, so you're giving us your UFC, so I got to ask you. It was just reported that Conor McGregor is back to training. He wants to come back in. He is ready to go. There's a new fire in his eyes. He wants to fight Khabib. Are you... Someone who's looking forward to Connor's return. Are you going to buy this kind of redemption story? Now, Dana stripped him of all his championships. And this was tactics. Like, don't get it wrong. Like, I think the whole stunt with him throwing the hand cart went too far. I don't think it was ever meant to go that far. But he paid the piper. He went to court. He got nothing because he's a star. And the Khabib and McGregor fight's going to start. And this is going to start Connor's climb back to getting all of his championships. Are you buying any of this? Are you on board with Connor Khabib and him starting his run? Oh, 100%. 100%. I'm 100%. He, he flew in his private jet with his other goons from <laughs> Ireland all the way to America just to throw a dolly at someone's bus just to increase hype about him. I'm so sold. I'm in. I'm watching that fight. I'm on the train. Like Whatever he needs, like, I'm in. And but all- who's going to win that fight? Could be or Connor. That's a, that's a toss-up. That's a tough fight for both the fighters. It's a tough fight, but, like, I think it's kind of... Khabib is fighting now, right? So a lot of people, you see Khabib, you see how dominant he is, you see he's a good fighter, but it's we're here and now society, so I think we really forget how good Conor is. The last time we saw him, he was looking clueless in a boxing ring, getting his ass beat by Floyd Mayweather. You know, so 
you know, we forget just how good Connor and the other and even his last two UFC fights before that against Nate Diaz out of weight class without reach, getting his face pummeled. When he can fight a guy that is in his weight class can, you know, and he can really fight him. I don't know if there's a guy that is his size that's better than him at fighting in the world. Uh, Khabib, Khabib would be that guy. The, the reason Conor is so good in the UFC, obviously not in boxing, because he, he just fought, fought Floyd Mayweather just for the money, obviously. But the reason Conor appears so much better than everyone else is because he, he, he beats fighters mentally before they do anything. That why, that's why Conor is so good, because the fighters, they... They don't follow the game plan of how they can beat Connor. They just want to hit him in the face because they hate him so much. But <laughs> if you want to box Connor, you can't outbox Connor. Connor, his left his left hand is so good at boxing. You're not going to beat Connor in boxing. The only person to do that is Diaz, who got clo- who did it the first time when he was in Mexico drinking tequila. He won the, the second time. Let's notice. be realistic. We can be realistic here. He won the second time. They gave it to Connor because he couldn't lose twice. I'm sorry. Uh, I he think won. it was a draw. I wouldn't give it to either fight. It was too close. Yeah, but in terms of the fact that it was a rematch and Diaz tapped him out like a little bitch in the first one, you got to give it back to Diaz. <laughs> they gave it to Connor to keep the popularity up. We can be realistic uh, there. Like it, it was he. If you the strikes, everything about it, the percentage, the strikes, the critical hits were all on Nate's side. And granted, his reach would give that to him, but that's a fight. It should have been scored in Diaz's favor. I think it should have been a tie. I think it should have been a draw. I don't think either fighters obviously showed that they were better than the other fighters. I think it was just about a draw. All right. And last but not least, there was reported a little while ago that there was a framework for Floyd Connor 2 to be in the octagon. Now, I think I shared this with you. The framework is absolutely stupid. It's basically a boxing match in the octagon with a little more leeway to throw hands. Um, It's set up so that Floyd can't lose again. Would you still pay for it? No, well, I'm in Colombia, so all pay per views are free, so I don't pay for anything. So I'm probably gonna watch it, but it's complete bullshit. Like Floyd, don't get me wrong, he, he's a boxer, he's very smart, he's doing exactly what he needs to do to create interest, but also doing exactly what he needs to do to not lose. If you just let Connor throw an elbow, kicks, anything, just anything more than like just the bare minimum, Connor's gonna win. But Floyd knows if you just do boxing, but maybe a little more, he can do like a little more holding, but like. It's pretty much nothing. Like, obviously, Floyd is definitely going to win again. They're going to be a huge payday. That's all they really care about at this point. Now, but I'll, is, still, I'll still watch it. And now, is this going to be like now? We look at it, and it's annoying from the sense that yeah, it's not going to be a true UFC match. But UFC has never been able to come near the type of money in terms of winnings that boxing has. Now, when you put Floyd Mayweather in an octagon, that money goes up to around three hundred million, no problem. UFC's never come near that. Do you think that once him and um, once Connor and Floyd have this match in the UFC and the money is again around 100 to 300 million per fighter, is that going to kind of put that bar up where, okay, championship fights are getting near 100 million, if not more, every single time and set a new bar for UFC? No, 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 not at all. Like this, if, if Floyd does fight in the UFC against Connor, obviously they're going to put a bunch of people on the undercard as well, like the main card, the prelims, which will really increase the buys. But then again, what what's going to happen a month later when you get all the top fighters they're not going to fight again? If you can't, obviously you're not going to fight like a month later. So it's it's just going to drop off again. Like exactly what happens now. Connor left the UFC. They, they haven't had any big pay per view buys since Connor. Like it's pretty much just been like absolutely nothing. Like the last couple pay per view buys have been absolutely drizzle so yeah it was really gonna spike up a lot when floyd you know comes in if he fights 
uh, Connor. But after that, like, it, it's not going to really spike again until they have, like, another big super fight. All right. Well, Rudy, I want to thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, that UFC 226, you heard exactly who he wants to win and exactly who he's picking. Uh, I know he's going to watch it. I'm not going to lie. I'm probably not going to watch it. I'm going to look at the results. But Rudy will let me know. You'll let me know what happened. I'm not going to lie. I don't lie. You know that. <laughs> but all right, buddy. I'm going to let you go. Thanks again for right, coming on, Rudy. That's, on. that's Rudy Kolich. Later, buddy. Ciao. Alright, so that was my buddy Rudy Kolich. I really appreciate him coming on and, you know, kind of educating me on some UFC stuff because admittedly, I don't know much about UFC. Um, and the last thing I want to do before I sign off is um, bore everyone with a little bit of track. And it's going to be quick because I'm just kind of pissed and I got to get something off my chest. Um, Tracktown USA was a summer series last year where four teams of runners competed in, I guess, dual meet style meets to go by points. And teams ended up winning, taking a championship. I think it was New York, Portland, uh, San Francisco, and I forget. It was one other area represented. And it was awesome. It was a league of teams for track people. And people that like track like myself enjoyed watching it and enjoyed watching the competition. I've been scouring the internet for Tracktown USA 2018 Summer Series. It's nowhere to be found. If anyone has an answer at all for where and when Tracktown USA is coming back, if it is coming back, if it's never coming back, please let me know. And if it isn't coming back, why? Somebody bring it back because I've said it before, track needs a league, track needs teams, not just running teams that are represented by a coach and go out there. They need legitimate teams where back in high school and college when you have guys from every single discipline under the same exact logo competing against each other in dual meets, they need a league because it would be a lot of fun to watch the fastest athletes in the world compete against each other and the fastest, highest jumping, strongest athletes compete against each other in dual meet style matches and have, and you know, a state team that you could root for. I would love to have a team in New York, in New Jersey, Connecticut even, that I could root for. So, um, you know, get a team, Tracktown USA, if you're not coming back, just let everyone know so we can go away. If I'm the only one that doesn't know, someone please let me know and we can go in with it. But... With that, that is the end of the Sports Opinions Podcast live stream. I just want to thank everyone for listening who came on. Um, Don't forget to go back and listen to my last few podcasts. Uh, Last week was with TJ Kidd, the son of the great Jason Kidd, um, former Net Nick uh, champion with the Dallas Mavericks. Unbelievable player, coach with the Milwaukee Bucks and the Brooklyn Nets. Hopefully you coach again soon. And also with Phil Watson, a fan-sided. He's the Nothing But Nets site editor. Uh, Really just intelligent guy. Not just a basketball guy, but both guys were awesome. Go back and give them a listen. If you want to find out where, you can listen on Spreaker, YouTube, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play Music. Uh, Just go in there, search for Sports Opinions Podcast. You'll see my logo. It'll show up. Again, thank you everyone for listening. Um, Thank you, Rudy, for participating. Thank you for Miguel. Thank you, my beautiful wife, Julie. All of you guys that participated. Um, Thank you, my father-in-law, for giving me a suggestion earlier on what to do. I really appreciate that. Um, It was lots of fun. Again, I'm Alex Cuesta. Find me on Twitter at A underscore Cuesta 30. Find Sports Opinions on Twitter at Sports Opinion 30. Again, I really appreciate everyone for listening. Have a good one.